Hi, welcome to one more interview recorded at Facts in October with famed writer-artist Ted Nafee. I was joined by my good friend, scholar and Nafee enthusiast Eva. This time there's no audience and as may be evident from some of the rambling, it was at the end of the first day. You should know Ted as the author of Courtney Crumrin, Knight's Dominion, Gloom Cookie and Heroines. We delve into all of it and try to span the entirety of his career. There's some good discussion with some divergent talk, but I think all of it pretty interesting. Uh, this was Eva's first participation for an interview. She was sitting in a bit farther from the mic, so I've raised the gain on her a little bit. And as a result, the audio quality isn't as, cri as crisp as the panels. But I think it chugs along and, well, it may require some effort from you, but it, it should work all right. Um, if you like, you can take this interview as a bit of a dry run on Ava's and my upcoming challenge as co-hosts of a new podcast formula, but more on that later. Right now, enjoy our frank conversation with Ted, the gentleman, Knifey. Join the club. All for the best, really. I'll start you off. Um, how did you roll into comics? Um, I was unemployable. And uh, I was a teenager. And um, all I did all day was sit at home drawing pictures on... Uh, you know, photocopy paper. Uh, so one day I got it into my head to draw some comic book pages, so I drew some comic book pages. Um, I took them down to the local convention in San Francisco and I got a job. Uh, they were all impressed by my flim flam. Uh, I had this trick of just covering all my flaws with cross hatching. And then you really couldn't tell how bad my work was. Um, if if you cover the flaws so you can't tell their flaws, are they are they flaws still? Yes, they are. <laughs> to, to you, because no, no, they are because for five pages you can get away with that, but for twenty-four, no. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, so and, and wh why why can't you? Because you. When I am drawing what I want to draw and I know I'm good at and I'm making up the story as I draw each panel, um, I'm never going to make myself draw what I can't draw. But when I get a script and it says, do this, do that, then I, I have to. Or, yeah, yeah, draw cars, exactly. You know, this, this, you know, or just draw an ordinary person that isn't a costume superhero yeah. or isn't a, a monster. But I haven't seen you draw a lot of costume superheroes. Huh? Uh, well, at the time I was, I did yeah. my sample pages were Batman pages, yeah. and I could do some really atmospheric, scratchy, uh, cross-hatched Batman pages, and they looked great. Um, until you realize that I took a week on each page, 
um, and I could I just couldn't do it consistently. Um, anyway, my first actual professional work was abysmally bad. Um, and is this gloom cookie or before gloom cookie? It's years before gloom okay. cookie. This is like seven or eight years before gloom cookie. Okay. Uh, I didn't do gloom cookie until my late 20s. This is my late teens. Um, but if you were already professionally working, or, or at least published in your late teens, uh, saying that you were unemployable is maybe being a bit harsh on yourself. Well, yes, but you also have to remember that this was the early 90s. Uh, Image had just launched. Um, Spider-Man number one had sold five million copies. Spawn number one was selling in the millions. Everybody was getting in on a comic book craze. And I jumped in with a company called Innovation that was uh, doing the interview or the uh, Vampire Lestat comics, and they were selling like crazy. Um, and so they're like, "Well, what else can we do? What else? What other projects can we do?" So they licensed The Color of Magic by Terry Pratchett and um, Shadow of the Torturer by Gene Wolfe. Those are very respected fantasy books. One is comedic, and one is. You know, very grand yeah, and serious. Yeah, I, I know Terry Pratchett. Um, and uh, so I got I got assigned Shadow of the Torturer. Um, and it was very gothic and very grand and very cinematic. And um, and uh, I just was not up to the task. I mean, I scraped by and I got some admiration for a newcomer. Um, people saw something in it, but I just didn't quite have it in me to do, you know a monthly book or even a bi-monthly book um so but yes yeah, so in, in that sense yes i was un unemployable yeah, okay. yeah. um but at any rate i couldn't hold down a job working in a comic book shop um and i uh you know and i i was living with my parents i was you know i was in my late teens And, uh, but it was uh, interesting to get thrown into the deep end. Okay, now do this every month, you know, like, and here's a script. Make whatever you see on the script and make that happen. Um, and that <laughs> seemed good. Yeah. Uh, but it was actually five years before I could really turn in a decent comic book. And, like, yeah. then the, and I'd given up on the whole concept until Bloom Cookie came along. And uh, this idea of just making things real simple, not trying to. Well, you know, one of the things I really was doing, uh, you know, my favorite artists at the time were, you know, Dave McKeon and Bill Sienkiewicz and people that whose work wasn't simply beyond my skill level, but beyond my comprehension. Right. You know, <laughs> I knew that what I was seeing was dazzling, but I had no idea what it was that they were doing. And, uh, I was so far away from being able to do it myself, it was absurd. And, and that maybe intimidated you into not wanting to produce? Eventually, I mean, it, well, it got me, it sent me in the wrong direction. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I discovered Mike Mignola and the simplicity of just good old fashioned black and white pages, when in doubt, black it out. And, um, uh, well, he'll be the first to say that he's an awful uh, artist. <laughs> Except for that, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. well, that, that's what every, That's not what he says. I, I well, agree he, completely because I I love Mike Mignola. I think he's a good artist, but he's an amazing designer. Yeah. You know, and I think and that a storyteller. Design is the piece that I was missing. Uh, that I, you know, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz is a fantastic designer, but 
you're so dazzled by all the particulars of his work that you don't see the design. And one of the great things that Mike Mignola did was he got, he made his artwork get out of the way. And he made you, there's nothing there but design. Um, and I think that that really made a massive difference as a, you know, as an example. And so, I mean, to this day, I, there's, I use tools from his toolbox every time I put pen to paper. Um, and that, and that influence has really saved my work. I didn't even really understand what design was before, you know, when I first started. Um, I went to art school, but, you know, the art school I went to was incompetent and, you know, really, um, and, um, they didn't believe I, in comics, probably. Well, I, they didn't understand, they didn't, they, they didn't, they, they believe in them now, but they don't understand how to teach comics. Um, and uh, the, you know, at the time, I, like, I took a design class, but I got to the end of that class and I didn't understand what the hell they were talking about. Um, I didn't know what design was. Um, and it, it was a prerequisite basic class. Yeah. So the least they could have done was taught me what design is, what it's for. <laughs> lesson one. Yeah, lesson one. <laughs> Certainly, I mean, I mean, I finally had to have somebody who was learning inking explain to me what she had learned the week before in terms of what design, how to make, how to design a decent page. Um, and she explained it so simply and so elegantly. And she she had learned it from. Um, um, just a magnificently skilled artist named Shepard Hendricks. Um, and uh, this is Sarah Byam, who's an author, yeah, writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she she was learning just ink, and then she passed that information on to me, and um, and that really kind of got me, got me just the basics of comic book design, how to make things simple. Yeah. And you, you because you, you mentioned the, uh, Sarah Byam, and um, I guess innovation wasn't that... Uh, good of a, a company they you know they they dared to do things yeah. and uh, you know uh, the editor-in-chief was Dave Campetti and he, right. he's still yeah, around yeah I know him yeah, he's, he's got a glass house yeah, yeah. glass house he tries uh, he's a um, what do you call it uh, a manager, manager like right? a talent manager yeah and uh, you know he's, he's a nice guy yeah. I, mean, I always I always, yeah, well, I, because, he's always know, nice the, to me a lot of the times if it's the, the small press uh, first experiences, there is often mm -hmm. like a horror story. I'm happy to hear that uh, that isn't the case. It was certainly not a horror story yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been for them. Uh, uh, because my work was slower and slower, and then we did three issues of Shadow of the Torture of a six-issue yeah. run, and I just couldn't keep it up. Yeah. And they, you know, uh, and I needed a lot of, I needed to learn a lot. Um, and I, you know, eventually I did, but I what I learned was, you know, you know, catching information as I, you know, as sure. I could. So, um, you eventually wound up at uh, Oni. Um, Gloom Cookie was uh, slave labor graphic? Uh, Gloom Cookie was slave labor, yes. Um, and I I wrote, I created Courtney for slave labor. Right. Um, but they didn't like it. They, they uh, I pitched it to the you know, the notoriously grumpy, angry, sullen editor-in-chief at Slave Labor, Dan Votto. Um, and he read the script, enough, and he, he read the script, <laughs> and he's like, why would anybody like this character? Yeah. Um, 
this that's terrible. strange. Which, you know, <laughs> I, Dan, I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, some of the traits I mean, you mentioned there are traits that are in, in Courtney. So, yeah. I mean, when you are a lovable curmudgeon, yeah. I think it's harder for you to see that there can be a lovable curmudgeon in, you know, in, yeah. uh, you Folks know, in fiction. Folks too much on the part and not Yeah, and the curmudgeon, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovable, maybe, yeah. Yeah. I think he didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, and so, and he started trying to, trying to talk to me about, like, well, get together at Comic-Con and I'll help you tool this into something that might work. Maybe take some emphasis off of the main character and put it more on like the uncle and blah 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 and anyway uh but i had waited for like three months for them to even get back to me about it and i'm like you know gloom cookie was kind of a hit you know you owe me more than this and i don't want to be a jerk about this but you know i you could at least do me the courtesy of looking at my next pitch they were angry at me because i stopped doing gloom cookie and that was a it was a big success, and, and I wanted, yeah. but I couldn't survive splitting the profits of Blue Cookie. Um, as a you know, as a as an artist, I mean, I'm doing you know, I mean, I, I write and draw, and let me tell you, you know, the drawing takes more man hours. Like I can write, I wrote Knights Dominion in two weeks, and I drew the you know, over the course of the, the entire the entire script was two weeks, and then it took eight months to draw. Um, and that's typical. Like it's the same with the, all the Courtney books. Like it, you know, maybe a, uh, like the first Courtney chapter, I wrote in a day. Yeah, you know, it was thirteen pages of script of sure, just like and words it's, and it's, simple. It's the beginning. Direction. That's always the easiest yeah. bit to write. Yeah. He's a professional, Eva. I know. But but I had the idea. Yeah. What I do is I massage the idea in my head until everything. You know, um, suge- every step suggests the next step in my head, and it feels like a natural yeah. progression, like music. Um, and then, once I get it into that place in my head, it falls out of my head onto yeah. the paper. It's, it's almost, Except, yeah, it's about, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost like simply deciding how many pages each piece of your story is going to take up. Yeah, and uh, you'll note that uh, the first chapter is like I think it's 28 pages and so it it was a little longer than I was supposed to make it but that's how long it needed because um, there's a lot of little there's a lot of sure. pieces that needed to just kind of come out of in that, yeah, uh, that the, the, the complaint that a lot of modern issue ones get is that they're actually only half of an issue one because uh, a lot especially the, the big um, publishers uh, barely even do um, extra sized issue ones you know i've i've seen that and i've i've tried the extra sized issue one the problem with the extra size extra sized issue one is that you know to price it so that it's worth putting all that extra effort in it becomes a daunting price tag yeah. for a new project people are willing to spend four dollars for a first issue uh you know for american dollars uh for the first issue of a, a brand new series that they know nothing about but if it's six or more, the you know they're suddenly very daunting. And so, like the latest series I did, we did that. We did the double-sized first issue uh, and put uh, and put the price tag at six dollars. And nobody ordered. They didn't. The retailers didn't order it, and nobody bought it. 
because that's a daunting price tag. Um, the people who did bought it really liked it, but but we would have been better off if we had just done that half issue one and then made it a two dollar issue, or maybe even swallowed some of that cost, like they do. With well, we did swallow two dollars of, right. of the cover price. I mean, that's still that's, eight. But what we it should have been eight. Yeah. But what we actually should have done was done just the because it was two chapters. We should have just released the first chapter. Yeah. Have it be sort of a half issue, um, you know, where it's not everything. It's not a nice, complete story, but it's a nice first taste. And, and just make that first taste two dollars. You're talking about uh, heroines now. This is heroines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the new. It's the latest book. Yeah, I that's did. the thing we haven't read yet. And you haven't read it yet. No. It's really funny. <laughs> well, we're, we're looking. We're looking forward to the collection. Okay. We're, yeah. Yeah. The collection, collection is, people. The collection is coming. Yeah. It is on the way. I've, I've held it in my hot little hands. Excellent. Uh, so uh, you, you moved from slave labor to uh, Oni. Oni. So Oni did get Oni. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Like I gave it to slave labor, Courtney Crummer, and I gave it to slave labor, and I um, uh, waited and waited and waited and called them up, and they got angry at me for pestering them about it. And this is after like three months. Yeah. Yeah. And like I gotta, get, I gotta make money. I'm like I got laid off at my job. Um, you know, I didn't want to go back into the games industry because that's what I had been doing for the last year and a half. Um, because I wasn't really, I didn't have much of a comics career anymore. It just wasn't my. I had failed to launch as a comic book creator. Um, and so I, yeah, you know, but I was kind of eager to get back into it, and I was really proud of the Loom Cookie. It was a huge hit. Um, so, and I wanted to get going, and so I called Slave Labor, and they're like, you know, we'll get to it when we get to it, and it really doesn't help to pester us, and I'm like, yeah. but, I, you know, I got you a hit, you know, this book, you know, like, I'm I'm not nobody, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not, you know, I wasn't Jonan Vasquez, but I wasn't, no, but, like, yeah, I wasn't just Joe need, Schmo off the street. You need to be cultivated. Yeah, and they, yeah, I needed to, I needed a little more courtesy than that, and so I'm like, okay, well, I'm just... I gave them the courtesy of giving of give, writing a tailor-made pitch for them, um, and since they didn't appreciate it, I just went ahead and sent it to Oni too, just to see what would happen. And they immediately wanted it, and uh, and it, so slave labor was saying that you know they would meet with me at Comic Con that year to tool it and make it better, and Oni said, said we would we want to announce it yeah. for Comic Con. So I'm like, hmm. <laughs> and I felt really kind of bad because okay, I did I, have a certain, I still had a certain sure. amount of loyalty to slave labor. They had given me a chance on, I mean, they, you know, they, they took a huge chance with Blue Hookie. I mean, that, I re, and I still to this day really appreciate it. You know, I still, uh, you know, credit Dan Votto for giving me a yeah, chance when I don't but, think but anybody else would have. Dan Votto has... This isn't the first story where, I mean, slave labor has fallen onto hard times. They have, but they, you know, they, and they scattershot, and they discovered yeah. talent that nobody else, I mean, Jonan Vasquez was this yeah, little punk cool. that was making zines for goth clubs, and now he's, you know, a household name, at least in this business. Um, so, and that's, you know, Dan saw something. Uh, and he saw something with me, and you know, he, he, you know, he has, 
you know, he's willing to try things, and he has he has a bravery that I think most speaking of don't. Uh, willing to try things. You um, this this was while um, Courtney was going on. You did um, the. Uh, Nocturnals miniseries with Oh Denver. yeah, yeah. I mean, that was also a kind of a dry run with uh, Oni to see if I could yeah. actually deliver. Yeah. Um, and they were really nice about it. And Dan was, oh my God, Dan uh, Dan Brereton is um, the most enthusiastic and most nurturing friend of artists you can imagine. He is so supportive. Uh, to this day, he's super supportive. Um, and uh, he gave me this chance to do this nocturnal short story, and uh, and I had a wonderful time with it. And Oni was very happy with it, and that really paved the way for me to be able to do Courtney Crumrin and make a you know make a go of, you know, of that project. And that project kind of ended up doing very well. Um, also, you know, I wasn't good at pitching, uh, mm -hmm. so. My pitch for Courtney might have been a little rough, uh, but it, it you know, only saw the diamond and, it and wasn't like a, a surly Buffy or something like that. Your pitch, it, I didn't. I you know, I don't. You know, I pitched specifics. I didn't say <laughs> surly Buffy, and I didn't uh, you, say you, you need those eleva elevator pitches. Well, like my elevator pitch for it now would have been like if I had thought clearly about it, I would have said this is Emily the Strange, but with a story. Are you familiar <laughs> with Emily the Strange? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, and like, if Emily the Strange had a story, it should be, you know, Courtney Crumrin. Unfortunately, Courtney has blonde hair. Yeah, but I mean, I designed my own. You know, yeah. like I yeah, saw, I yeah, mean, yeah, Emily yeah, was it, everywhere. Yeah, it doesn't have to be Emily the Strange. So Courtney Crumrin was my Emily the Strange, and I was imagining, like, it could be turned into, like, all this merchandise. But then I found that merchandise is a colossal pain. And I was far more interested in just telling the story about this character. Um, but... You know, and then they tried to do their own comic book, but it was crap. Yeah, so, the, ooh, yeah. Yeah. So, I recall to, having that in the shop. Yeah, that wasn't not to toot my own that, horn. That was, not, that was not a comic book. They needed to call me. <laughs> well, you among other people. But, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, th that's, um, all of that is, is very much in a, a sort of goth sensibility. Yeah, and that might have been why one of the reasons why it did so well, because yeah. I get that sensibility. I, yeah. You know, I understand it. It was kind of my scene at the time, and and you know, you never it never really leaves you. Um, so I feel like it kind of perfectly captured that sort of goth teenager vibe, um, and uh, and I think that that's why that's I'm trying to puzzle out why that book did well and nothing else I've done has quite done uh, as well. I guess it's zeitgeist. Yeah. For, for a large... I mean, you're, you're uh, just as talented, if not even better at what you're doing now than at the start of... Uh, oh, sir. I mean, I, I'm definitely better you. at drawing. Yeah. Um, um, so, um, both Courtney and uh, Polly, for instance, are young girls as yeah. your protagonist. Yeah. Where does that come from? I don't know. <laughs> it, well, it struck me, first of all, it struck me that um, as a guy writing girls, I'm kind of doing something a little unusual. Um, you know, I'm exploring stuff that women are not exploring, and I'm exploring stuff that other guys are not exploring. Um, so it gave me the opportunity to just kind of come at 
stories from a slightly different angle. Um, and, uh, and I think that there's something to that. There's something important about that. Um, maybe not a better, I'm not getting, I'm not deep writing deeper stories than like say Alan Moore or Warren Ellis, but I'm kind of coming at it from a different angle. And that, I think that's important. And, and this, uh, deliberate idea did that come first or was that like a conclusion you came to I mean uh, yes like, like, no. someone noticed but all of your protagonists are, not, are women well put I mean put simply I, I just kind of it just felt like it felt right yeah um, and I felt like nobody else it, at the time not a lot there weren't a lot of women in comics certainly not a lot of women that were sold on anything other than sex yeah um And Courtney, that's just not even an option. She's this little, you know, she's just a little kid. So it's not really, sex yeah. doesn't enter into it. Well, there's emotion. Uh, yeah, there's tons of emotion yeah, instead, you know, and that's yeah. the, that's what you, that's what it, the book is selling. But, I mean, lately, like, more, more recently, I've kind of, you know, just examining it, I think that um, the story kind of ends up empowering girls not to feel powerful, but to feel like they're, they get, they're allowed to be angry. And I think that it never really, I didn't think that through or think I'm empowering girls with the story, but, it, but I think that, you know, most guys wouldn't necessarily uh, want to write. I think a lot of guys write stories about women when they write stories about women, they're writing what a woman would do. And that's not a good yeah. way to write. You write what you would do yeah. um, if you were this person. And that's kind of how I tend to write. Yeah. Like I, You know, the fact yeah, that she happens I, to be I was a girl. Thinking is, if, you, if you had thought about it deliberately, you probably would have tried to make her to make the the um, uh, the, the lesson say uh, be powerful. And yeah. it's good that you didn't. Well, yeah, I mean that's not Because how that you write. Because that would have been like an after-school special. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, those are written from the outside in. You know, they're trying to make a point, and they make the story point to that point, and that ends up creating. You know, a, a, a banal, uh, superficial yeah. story yeah. instead of a story that you feel your way through. And like the Courtney is, you know, like I, Courtney is kind of my experience as a tween. You know, it's just she I just happens I to be a girl. Much. Oh yeah, it's really <laughs> obvious. You know, um, do you have a, a lot of goblin friends? Um, I didn't have any friends. <laughs> oh God, don't say that. <laughs> you know, like I mean, who, like a lot of people had a pretty rough time. I mean, it was my worst, the worst time in my life. So of course, that's where my that, best that stories come from. That seems to be. I guess that's even, even more so an, an American high school experience than uh -huh. uh, the European. Well, uh, I mean, I for me, that, that I, age eleven to thirteen, it it wasn't all bad. I yeah. had some friends. Yeah. And those friends you had will one, yeah. I think a lot of people just they pair down to that one yeah. friend that well, and you that, don't really like, but you're they're all you they, they they're all you've got. Yeah. Well, I, I have I, a, still I have the same I, friend. I, I do too, and and he will con continually remind me how horrible the entire experience was. Yeah. Even though you know, but I, I, things like you know the the American style of. of Uh, bullying as it's as it's presented in, in pop yeah. culture is something that is I guess it's more insidious maybe in our experience or in I, my experience in it, it didn't yeah, yeah there's so much yeah <laughs> bullying is so insidious yeah. among girls yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I had less of the, the physical uh, 
Oh, I mean, I got into fights, Attacks. but that's, yeah. yeah, I got into fights, but I wasn't bullied because I wasn't a pipsqueak. Yeah. You know, um, that's a American word. I, uh, I know what pipsqueak is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, you know, but of course, kids that were underdeveloped, of course, got bullied a little bit worse. But, I mean, I I didn't get bullied, but I did get on people's nerves, yeah. and I got and into fights a lot. Yeah, and I was an outsider, yeah, and I, I annoyed the shit out of everyone. Pardon my French. Uh, you're, you're, you're in Belgium. I, I curse a lot more on my podcast than you do. Okay. So far. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think, and that was another thing that, for me, was the most important thing about Courtney. Like, if you want to you know, you know the main inspiration for it, you know, I just read Harry Potter, and I had watched a movie called Matilda. Um, and both of them are about these kids that are have these horrible home lives where their parents are either bullying them or neglecting them. And um, uh, and the kids turn out fine. They're, they're, they're perfectly emotionally well-adjusted kids that just need someone to see how wonderful they are. I mean, in both cases, uh, you know, Harry Potter famously, you know, he walks away from being raised by people who hate him with no ill effects at all totally capable of making friends you know instantly loyal friendly you know heroic and all those things and i'm like that's not how it works that's not how any of this works you know the worst part of being raised by parents that are you know rough on you or like neglect you or you know i wanted to deal with neglect with courtney is that you end up messed up and that's that's the hard part is that it's in you it's in you and it, it yeah. damages your and soul even, even uh, Courtney's parents aren't that bad no but they're yeah. neglectful yeah, they're yeah. They, they, they don't they get her and they, they don't take care of her yeah, and they don't support her yeah. you know uh, well I mean I'm sure that if she if their kid ended up just like them they probably they, would have they, gotten they, more you, you seem to write them a little like kids they are like they're, kids they're themselves they're very self-involved yeah well, they're the broken kids that never yeah. really learned how to just be themselves, you know. And so Courtney, that's all she knows how to be. You know, she like that's how she rebels is by not knowing how to do anything but be herself. Yeah. I guess that's why she appeals to us so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I never, I, I've never been anyone but myself. Yeah, to the yeah, uh, to the bridge. But yeah, that makes you kind of an outsider. You don't know how to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. Yeah. To get to the point where you say, okay, it's like that. And if you have a problem with that, the problem is yours and not mine. Well, it's the discovery of self. It's figuring out, oh, yeah, that's just me. You know, instead of trying to figure out why you, why just doing what feels normal is considered, looks so weird from the outside. Um, and even wrapping your head around this idea that that's why you're getting into fights, that's why you're not able to make friends, that's why... I mean, with Courtney, I mean, she actively pushes people away and alienates them. You know, she yeah. ends up friendly with her witch, with the other witch kids, but, but she's not one of them either. Herself. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the goblin sort of, sort of goes, well, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll hang out. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she pushes him away, but he's, yeah. he's not having it, right? Yeah. I mean, she, you know, I the one you, character you she does that, relate yeah. to is the one that doesn't talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like, maybe she can project more of herself onto. Exactly. Yeah, just because yes. One of the things I I, I, I I loved Harry Potter 
but there are some big problems with it. And one of the things I adore about Gormit Gremlin, it's actually painful. I mean, you see why she acts the way she does. Yeah. And she does things that are, uh, in some situations, reprehensible from an objective point of view. But you don't realize they're reprehensible until she does. But she, there are consequences. Yeah. In Harry Potter, there are no consequences for Harry's bad behavior. Well, I mean, how bad was his behavior, though? Yeah, he was... I mean, like he, he did he, stay out after he did stay out late but, but and be I, like I, lost. No, but I just, I just about to note about the fact that you have the unforgivable curses and, and that his teachers tell him, you know, these curses are unforgivable, and you get sent to Azkaban for that and yeah. they damage your soul. And that's true of all the other characters, but when Harry uses one at the end, nobody mentions it. Yeah, he, but you know, yeah, that's and, but that's and, war, and, isn't it? You end up, there's, everybody's soul walks away tarnished, you know, and nobody, nobody is innocent enough to be able to say you are guilty. No, that's true. But there is a, there is a double there, moral yeah. really. doesn't like it. A double standard? Yeah, double standard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does get, morals do get messy in the face of the kind of conflict that they're exploring. Um, I mean, this is... You know, this is kind of a thing that I think that, you know, stories often explore. It's like what, you know, where is the moral, where is the moral center? Um, is there such a thing as a moral center? You know, and, and, you know, like I remember watching those Batman movies and thinking, you know, the more I'm, I was so glad that the moral center was that this guy doesn't kill. But by the end of the movie, I mean, there's, you know, the civilization is over. By the end of the, you know, it's just been wiped off of, out of the city, and it's a free for all, and the the rule of not killing becomes absurd, um, you know, because, you know, it's 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 a war, it's do or die at this point, you know, um, and I, and I still think that there's a absolutely essential value to this idea that, you know, killing is a terrible thing because it takes away civilization. You know, when you start murdering other people just on your own choice, um, or at all, really. But you know, I'm I'm not pro death penalty or anything like that. I think it's it's yeah. barbaric. But um, there's, but there's, when you take civil, but when civilization is already gone, there's no you know like. I mean, it's, since we're talking about Harry Potter and the unforgivable curses, you know, when when civilization has been wiped off the map and it's kill or be killed. Uh, you can't pretend that it's still there. So, I mean, I've, thank God I've never been in that situation. But I'm watching my country disintegrate, and I don't know if I'll end... I'm, I'm thinking about moving away, so I will never end up in that situation. But isn't that... Uh, uh, um, I, I listened to a podcast called uh, Harmontown with Dan Harmon. Oh, that guy, yeah. Yeah, and, and you don't like him? <laughs> I, I mean, obviously he's incredibly talented. Yeah. But, I mean, here's a guy that really, I mean, he is right on the edge between, like, for example, like his character Rick in Rick and Morty is clearly him. And he's right on the cusp of trying to convey that this is no way to be and uh, trying to present himself in in the hall of his horrible id um, as admirable. Yeah. You know, and half the time uh, Rick is presented as reprehensible and half yeah. of the time he's presented as admirable. And I think that 
Dan Harmon, the writer, is probably very ambivalent about whether he thinks that this is terrible, a terrible identity or yeah. whether, I mean, or if this is just him being, yeah. being him and patting himself on the back for being such a genius that he doesn't have to be a good person. Yeah, I, I think he's, uh, he's, uh, Rick is definitely an, an aspect of his character. Yeah. To the extent that I, I can talk for Dan Harmon, of course. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the thing I was trying to say is you, um, you're both confronted with uh, your country disintegrating around you. Yeah. And you're considering moving. Yeah. And he's bought himself a gun. Uh, he's never going to use it. I mean, it's, I, it's, yeah, it's this thing that, that that's he not a choice I would have taken. But that's a Dan Harmon work. decision, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Because yeah. that gun is not going to save him at all. Yeah. Like he knows that. Yeah. He's very much aware of it. Okay, yeah, and yet he did it anyway. Uh, well, you, know, you know, so something about the illusion yeah, of sure. the illusion of safety that it creates for him. Uh, because that, he's very aware of saying, well, yeah. I don't know what, what I will be able to do with it. But, uh, yeah. Well, get yourself killed. <laughs> Probably, you know, yeah. stay in a situation that you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like I'm, I'm 46. The last time I was in a fist fight, I was 11. Um, and I've avoided getting into physical fights all this, all these years, as a because I'm a grown up, and I know not to be there when something stupid starts happening. You know, oh, this is my cue to leave. Yeah. You know, uh, let's get back to your work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, thank you. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I find it very interesting. Um, I wanted to speak about. Let me see where this question is going. Um, yeah, um, in in um, in your three uh, three biggest works, let's say, uh, Courtney Crummer and Polly and the Pirates and um, Knights Dominion, which um, I, I've uh, I, I'm halfway through the first volume. Um, but um, I hope that becomes big. The, the, uh, the, no, but the, the, the thing with these projects is that um, the world really feels um, lived in. Yeah. And, and not something that you are um, feeling the need to, to uh, dump a lot of um, exposition into. No, um, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, but uh, well, I notice. Um, uh, and and it, it gives the reader, um, especially because I'm halfway through Knights of Dominion right now, mm -hmm. it, it gives the reader sometimes a feeling of helplessness of what is going on here. But it's, it's better in the long run because the, 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 the story is, is richer for it. I, I think so. These characters I... won't go, well, but this is, this is that place where this and that happens because mm -hmm. they know, they, they don't have to tell each other. Yeah. Well, you you know the when you have the characters telling one another what they both already know, because yeah, the audience needs to know you it. You've already screwed up, yeah, and, you, and you've you've taken the reader out of the story. To you're very expressly avoiding it, which I, I enjoy very much. But I, the, the, my question actually is: um, uh, Greg Rucka does sort of the same thing. Where yeah, well, he's he has a master. A lot of yeah. Backstory in, in Lazarus, uh -huh. and he has talked about um, losing himself a bit in building these worlds. And while he should actually be continuing um, uh, progressing or, or even writing his story, not even not even progressing his story, but writing his story, yeah. Go, but I can I can think about this aspect of the of the uh, world and this aspect and, and uh, things that you won't immediately need, but that do make it better. Do, do you have that same feeling or not uh, really? You, I mean, I troubled with it. I find what happens is my first priority is to. Tell, to, to build characters through their stories, 
So, like with uh, with uh, Emmerang from Knights Dominion, um, her character is built out of, you know, she she'll say she'll say something, screw everybody, screw you, screw this city, and then she'll the next thing you know she's saving literally yeah, the entire exactly. city, and that's who she is, and she doesn't see that she's doing that, you yeah. know, she doesn't quite see that she. Um, that she's making this decision to be uh, like insanely altruistic because she believes that she that she believes that she is the person that thinks the whole city can go screw itself. That's who she identifies as. But, but the truth of her is that she is yeah. a hero. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to, to tell. And yeah. so every the city itself stems out. You know how what whatever all every piece of detail. Uh, that I'm building into the city grows out of my need to create a city that she wants to say go screw itself. So it has the city. It has to be aspects of the city that are happening to her specifically that are making her life shitty. And at the same time, there are some aspects that have her uh, still want to, to yeah. defend. Well, yeah, little just little yeah. things will happen. Yeah. You know, like. A great example is uh, there's like a scene in Knights of Minya that I think is a chapter that you hadn't gotten to yet, where this little church, uh, it's a it's a temple, but it's, it's it's a church, you know, and it's burning down, and there's this well that happens to be nearby, um, that's uh, and it hasn't pumped water in years, yeah. and like, you know, the poor priest that's trying to get water out of it, he knows that, but the nearest water is like. Yeah. You know, half a mile away, the river. You know, and it's, and his it's this church is all he's got. So he's desperately trying to get this well to to to, to work, and he's you know, even though he knows for a fact that it's not going to work. And then this guy comes, this hero comes, a superhero comes along and starts pumping it. Uh, uh, you know, this is a character that you that you've been introduced to, but yeah. you don't realize that he's a superhero. Yet. Yeah, he's basically he's Hercules, and he's been trapped. He's been like chained up for the last hundred years or something um that that's what the change chains were for and the and yeah that's exactly right. yeah at any rate um you know they find him in the basement you know he's like this he's like this half dead you know they you know what you know you they think he's a corpse but he's actually a half yeah. dead demigod yeah. Yeah. um that they just happen to stumble upon She's, yeah, it's all terribly she's symbolic. The one that, that, that she, she drags along with yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's all very. I, I wanted to kind of get these sort of like stories that seem like day in the life of these people in the city, but are actually these kind of mythic stories. You know, they go down into this basement to find treasure, but what they find is this physical embodiment of heroism. You know, like a hero out of olden times, and this, and they think of their world as modern times. Olden times never really happened. But they did, and this, and this kind of concept of heroism still exists, and so they resurrect it in their effect, in their attempt to just get a bunch of treasure. And that was I don't know something I yeah, wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sounds, so it sounds really good. And that happened. That story, that story stemmed out of my need to kind of create a character arc for the characters, and the this this little well that never pump that can't pump water anymore it's been rusted shut for a hundred years um kind of stemmed out of my need to create this moment where this where this superhero kind of up 
resurrects over the course of this yeah. story. Uh, this Herculean type who's kind of somewhere between, he's my Thor slash Superman, but basically he's Hercules. Uh, and I wanted to, you know, the story of him, like, he can't die, and I wanted the story of him kind of coming back to strength and life and, like, and creating this little ripple of story around himself. Like, people, is, and after the, after he gets the water pumping, you know, with this mighty strength that he has, and, like, and then the, you know, and he gets water pumping, and everybody's, wow, that's, that's amazing, you did that. And then somebody else starts shouting, well, maybe we should make use of this water and put out this fire. And they... You know, they saved this church that nobody cared about before, and they find, wow, somewhere in them, they kind of do still care about it. Um, and that creates, and that created this whole ripple of story that I wanted, that that also gives you a sense of the culture of the, the world and all this stuff, but it all stems from me wanting to get this character to kind of, have some you know, bounce off yeah, of the, yeah. you know, the kind of jaded regular folks that live in this village, uh, live in this neighborhood. Um, and the whole, the whole book is built around little things like that, where if I'm building story, if I'm, or if I'm building, if I'm building the world, the, yeah. the world building comes from my need to tell these little stories about the characters. Because, yeah. um, I mean, at the end of the day, who cares how the city works, what it runs on, what, you know, what kind of wars have happened in it, if the characters don't, if it's not yeah. relevant to the yeah. characters. Sure. It doesn't, that, that stuff doesn't matter unless it matters to the characters. You know, I found that I could never get through the backstory of um, The Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings. You know, there's like, really you know, The Lord of the Rings has all those... Uh, it's, it's, yeah. And as a kid, I thought that this is so important. Yeah, I suppose but, this is important. I'm supposed to read yeah, this but, stuff. But, but you know, um, uh, I, I think uh, to an extent, Greg Rucka knows that nobody cares about it, but he still he writes it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, to have it for himself. Mm -hmm. I think you need to know these things. Yeah, to have this this physically you, there as maybe, something yeah, de definitive and not something. Well, I mean, Rucka is much more literary than I yeah, am. I'm true. much more of a pulp writer. Sure. I'm. I'm I want to write these I like fun you. I like you both yarns. Yeah, and I thank you. <laughs> it's it's very very much an honor to be in that guy's you know like you know to be mentioned in the same sense as that guy because he's really I mean he's serious he's a real writer and I'm just kind <laughs> of it's true it's true whenever you listen to one of his uh, interviews he just he doesn't just answer your question mm -hmm. he answers your question yeah <laughs> he you know, he's, he's thought about this yeah. Um, He's thought about that stuff. You've got some questions. And I'm, I'm making up stuff as I go along. Yeah, you know, that's uh, really what yeah, it comes down to. Is yeah, that, but, you know, uh, I have this in, story to tell. In a, in, a, in a better way than some other stories. You know, I wanted to do Avengers in a fantasy setting. Yeah. You know, I thought, like, these, this, that night, this hip new fantasy world that everybody loves is in love with the, the hopeless fantasy world. The fantasy world that you would never want to go to and visit. Like... Who in their right mind would ever want to set foot in Westeros? That just that place sounds awful. I'd be dead within a day. <laughs> yeah, we all would. But I, I guess I guess that that has its appeal as well. I I mean I suppose, it's, but it's I thought it's this thing where, where you're, you're looking at it not really 
I mean, you're identifying with aspects of the character. Yeah, you're but you're you, identifying you with their suffering. Yeah, you yeah. want to live there. But I got it's, it's like a fantasy world that I would never want to go it's to. It's a bit of disaster tourism. Yeah, right? exactly. But yeah. why would nobody? Yeah, sure, I guess. But it, it's but more that's than that. definitely it's more, yeah, uh, it's that's an that. esoteric mean, interest. Some of the the, um, the the kingdoms they intend on maybe building could possibly mm-hmm. have something in them. But whereas whereas like with Lord of the Rings, I wanna I wanna go on a picnic with elves. You know, I want to eat a hobbit bread, meal yeah. and burst. You know, I want. But yeah, yeah but I want the, the elevenses. <laughs> yeah, I want. I want the elevenses. Isn't isn't? Um, uh, I mean, especially some aspects of uh, Westeros and, and Game of Thrones um, do feel like something you would encounter in a medieval setting. Yeah. Right. Which power, again, it sounds just the individual awful. Also. Yeah, like, this but, is, but it did happen. It did happen. It's all very believable. Yeah, that was yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, the reality is that I mean, somebody was pointing out in some YouTube podcast um, that comedy has a truth to it that drama often does not. That the world isn't all jokes, and comedy is very mannered. In that sense that, you know, everything is laugh out loud funny yeah. when the reality is that, and this is the way I like to write, is, you know, things are funny without necessarily being laugh out loud funny. You know, like, they, the, but the thing about comedy, the difference with comedy versus drama is that in comedy people fart. Um, and in reality people fart. But nobody farts in drama. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's true. Um, and so I like to write that reality, like in heroin, like heroines and, and Courtney Crumrin, neither of these books are comedies, but there's laugh out loud, funny moments because like, I wanted the characters to feel real. I wanted them like, life is just kind of, you know, is life has those moments where in one minute, the character, you know, like a character can be a formidable wizard in another moment that, you know, they're farting. Yeah. To go to the yeah. yeah, and this is normal. <laughs> this is just yeah. life, and but, like heroines but, is definitely I, built around that. But I was wondering too, is maybe you know um, the the world you're in, you, you don't really want it to be horrible, even mm-hmm. if it is. So maybe yeah. for the characters in Westeros, it's less awful because they don't have the um, the frame of reference. Either. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't understand that it could be better. Yeah, but that's true. But, you know that that drama is is a lot bleaker than at least having some rays of hope. For sure, but my impetus was to was that a world like that, you know what it needs? Superheroes, <laughs> sure. like yeah. this, just unfiltered. I mean, you know, of course that like, you couldn't put superheroes into Game of Thrones because that would completely violate the point of Game yeah. of Thrones, yeah. which is that shit happens but we do have magic. and then everybody dies. And the magic is coming back. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's, of course, Game of Thrones is playing the long game where eventually the girl riding the dragon is going to show up and make everything right. Hopefully. Yeah, but, boy, yeah, I mean, we still, really we're don't still, know. We're still curious. So yeah, I thought curious. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait around. I gave up on Game of Thrones a long I time see. ago because I, could, I wasn't going to wait around for the superheroes to show up. So I wrote my own story where it's this crappy, miserable world where everybody's suffering. But then, you know what? Superheroes. You know, like, people make themselves into the superheroes, and they do this righteous and altruistic thing because 
if they didn't, there needs to be a point yeah. to living, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. You know, otherwise, if nobody's going to do anything good just for the sake of doing something good, what the hell is the point of anything? You know, what is the literally what is the point of civilization at all? And that was kind of the point I wanted to make with uh, Knight's Dominion, I, I and guess, I'll see if I made it. I guess most people would say the point of civilization is watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, but... <laughs> but you see, I wouldn't agree with that because I stopped watching the show. That, well, I, I'm, I'm pretty much out of questions. Uh, I, I think you did really well. It was oh, thank very you. interesting. Uh, because this this question you answered yourself, which was yeah, what um, uh, about Polly, uh, where she um, uh, she discovers that she has strength and authority and power, but she remains a nice person. Uh, yeah. most yeah, most people is, will yeah, will is, will become powerful. But no, the thing is, that's mm -hmm. what strikes me about um, the way you, you write the heroines is that you know uh, there are many writers who, who, who they try to write. Yeah. But these women are strange. If you, 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 as a woman, you read about me. I'm not like that. And there is like so when you when you read a character like uh, like Courtney or like uh, like Polly or, or like Emmerine, they they are true to themselves. They're mm -hmm. superhuman, but they make the best of things, and they are they are very relatable. They're yeah. Strong, but without becoming. I was going to say superheroines, but maybe that's the wrong word. Well, I mean, I get. I mean, but I get the impetus. Like the what people want to do when they write the strong female characters, they want a, a woman that's physically capable, that's empowered to do great things in the way that, say, Superman or yeah. James Bond can do great things. And has agency and so on. But they also want. They also want to create that moral, this sort of like that, to give that person total moral uh, superiority. superiority and you know that doesn't really I mean some it can be fun that character can well, be fun that, that occasionally the, yeah but that is the criticism that um, but it, it, Superman would get that he's too good I I don't necessarily agree with that criticism yeah. Captain America gets uh, would uh, might get the same criticism but everybody's loving those movies uh, but, but but Captain America <laughs> I guess is more of a the man, because he stands for what is good and not really American. I, I'm not saying that. Well, that's Superman, true. I mean, the problem with Superman was yeah. that it's founded yeah. on these this very xenophobic traditions of America. You know, like not xenophobic, but certainly like this self righteous, the American way concept. And like, unfortunately, whatever we thought was the American way has been completely yeah. corrupted. Um, so, what the hell is the American way? You know, well, I mean, that would be something that would be worth exploring. That's the great thing about Captain America is yeah. he's wearing the flag, and yet he doesn't do that. He doesn't. Uh, he's not a false patriot. He doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah, he's not a false. Salute the flag to salute the flag. Yeah, he, yeah. He will. He will look for what is good and and true and American in the best sense of of whatever that word yeah. means. Yeah, he 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 represents this kind of. Idealism. Yeah, and, and, the, the, I don't and, know. I don't yeah, want to go yeah. too deep into that. Yeah. But, um, but I think that uh, yeah, I mean, with the, this concept of the strong female character, 
it, yeah, it gets too. He they they become a little too too good, um, perfect and idealized in this kind of false and you know insincere way, and I think that you know that's not really empowering. Like for me, what made Courtney, what made Courtney empowering for me personally, was that she had the right to be as angry as she felt, and to not, you know. Um, to not filter it and to not be nice, to not get along. And like, and she still gets to be the hero of her story without necessarily having to get along with other, making friends at the end of the story. Like, I mean, I, we got a bunch of screenplays when I sold the rights to it. Yeah. And at the end of every goddamn screenplay, Courtney had made friends. And I really wanted to tell a story about how it ends with her not making friends. And like these people that like, like at the end of, volume three you know she has all these students that she goes to school with they melt away out of her life she's not friends with them you know they have this experience together but she doesn't connect you know because that's not something she's capable of you know she's kind of broken yeah. and isolated well, i was going to say it's, it's not that that makes her a good person but she's still the hero and that is, that is the decision she has made and the road mm. she takes i mean it's hard it's you have to accept that and, and uh, it's uh, not even decisions it's just who she is she's yes but Exactly, okay. and she doesn't have to be nice. Is the point well, I'm making? Yeah, that, that's, she doesn't that's have what I mean. to be nice. She yeah, I, be yeah, exactly. Good in the sense that you know that the predictable thing mm -hmm. that she would do. You don't have to be nice to be a hero. You don't, and that's something that you never see yeah. female characters. Well, I mean, sometimes you do. You see the tough, always right, and that's the other thing. Courtney isn't always right either. She's sometimes dead wrong, and that she doesn't have to be right all the time to be a hero either. She doesn't have to be... I mean, boy, God, I was watching some... I went to see a movie once, and I, there was, like, this plethora of male-led hero movies where, you know, in a world where he's always right and everybody else is always wrong, this character is going to kick everybody's ass and be right to do so. You know, and um, and I, felt, I feel like that's also what is common among the strong female characters in these kinds of things that you know that that fantasy of always being right mm -hmm. is i find a little dull as well um you know and that was something that i really wanted to do with courtney too is just have her be wrong but it's it's okay to be wrong you can see you still get to be the hero she's a definitely complex character yeah yeah she's definitely got the shades of gray and that's that's also something that you didn't see a lot um, in, in and it, it takes some getting used to as a reader as well, mm -hmm. because you, 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 you get certain expectations, right? And if those are met, yeah, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. But you know, I think yeah, I think um, we we expect. Here's the thing: there's so many male antiheroes. How many female antiheroes are there out there that really just that you that are that are totally lovable, but also you know kind of dark and messed up and angry and it's not it's not that common i feel like courtney is one of the rare exceptions and that was something that i thought well it was it was fresh ground that i got to explore that was another thing about this is the main thing about courtney is that nobody had done it ripley maybe but ripley is always right yeah she's weirdly mysteriously competent Nothing, not that there's anything nice, wrong no, with that. That, that. was nice to see too. Mm -hmm. But it's like sometimes you get the feeling that indeed a, a, a strong female character doesn't 
So yeah. yeah. Whereas Wolverine gets to be wrong all the time. He's never right. Yeah, he's never in the right. But we love him anyway because he chops people to bits. Yeah. But, you know, you put Wolverine, you make Wolverine a girl and you've got Elektra. And Elektra is unbearably uninteresting. I mean, she is probably one of the dullest characters in comics. Yeah, but she's she's, uh, artificially been held... up as a character for way too long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was never the original. Yeah, the whole point of her is the design. I mean, yeah. frankly, there is one person, one person alone that Elektra owes almost everything to, and it's Bill Sienkiewicz. Because he made her look amazing, you know. Uh, uh, she's just a great, dynamic-looking figure. I, I think um, uh, in the, in, um, the 2000 AD uh, series Low Life, there's um, a character, Amy... <laughs> She is. She has that same thing. She does things that aren't uh, very smart sometimes, mm-hmm. and, and are for uh, for very wrong reasons at a certain point. But do you get it? Yeah. When you're reading, you absolutely. get who she yeah, is. Yeah, and you yeah, want to follow yeah, her story. Absolutely. See, that's interesting to me. Uh, the, those two, th- the, the especially the recent ones. The, the, this was um, a thing written by Rob Williams, and he does oh. really good stuff. Mm-hmm. And and. Uh, 2000 AD, I've noticed, is is very good at at uh, not walking that uh, uh, the, the dire tropes, but trying trying some new things. Yeah, yeah. The same with with Judge uh, Anderson. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anderson, speaking of yeah. which, I mean, you know, Carl, uh, Carl Urban is yeah. here. I really wanted to shake his hand, yeah. but like Judge Anderson was my favorite character in exactly. that movie yeah. that he was in, the, Judge, the Dread movie. I loved that movie, but I loved it because Anderson was such a great, compelling character, and the way that those two characters interacted, you know, like, Anderson is the protagonist of that story, Dredd is the antagonist, she has to win him over to win, you know, and that's the story of her winning him over, you know, not, not on purpose, but just by being, you know, but by just saying, no, empathy is an absolutely essential component to civilization and policing civilization. If you don't have it, you don't have civilization. You have a meat grinder. And that was the meaning of that story, and that's what Anderson teaches Dredd over the course of that story. And that's what she kind of learns herself. Like, I won't do this if I have to sacrifice my empathy. Uh, and that's that. That was that story. I loved that movie well, for that reason. Is it's uh, really then a, I can, about I that? I can heartily recommend the um, uh, Judge Anderson books oh, by uh, Alan Grant and uh, Arthur Rent. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm, really good. I will check that out. Well, that sounds go. great. That's. I have to, yeah. 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 Have you seen this movie? No. no she has. Oh, yes, she yes, hasn't yes. seen a lot of movies. I'm, no, I'm a geek with um, very little. Oh um, yeah, movies are not that interesting. It's, it's, uh, yeah, 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 I know. Yes. Yeah, we're yes. talking about stories all the time. Yeah. Um, but, um, well, probably not so much you, but I've been raised on um, Belgian and French comics in the clear line style. Oh yeah, yeah. There's hardly any black there. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, the Courtney Carmen books did very well here in black and white. Yeah. Very pretty um, 
new editions of Courtney Drumroll, the hardcover editions. Yeah. Color. Oh yeah, yeah. And Knight's Dominion is uh, now colored as well. You're, you're colored I colored well. I colored Knight's Dominion myself. Yeah. How do you feel about this black and white and the color thing? Well, I really wanted to explore color, and I have I'm having a lot of fun with Knight's Dominion coloring that and coloring uh, heroines as well. Um, and just not leaning so heavily on on black. Uh, that being said, I'm kind of missing it, and I really want to go back to uh, doing a book that isn't dependent on color, and maybe doesn't even have it, uh, because uh, that was something I really, you know, like I knew uh, originally Courtney was to be published in black and white, and I knew I didn't have color to lean on, so I had to make those pages read. But, but at that uh, time, uh, uh, Oni was pretty much an exclusively black and white. Publisher. Yeah, they couldn't afford color. But they now but it's cheap. This has changed, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now it's cheap to do color, and did, did that you can't survive affect, on black and white. Did, yeah. did that affect the, um, the sales? Oh yeah, the sales. I mean, the the color editions of Courtney Cremerin, the sales went through the roof. So. Yeah, I saw that the large uh, French translations that. Oh yeah, the, so in France yeah, now in France, the black and white sells and the color does not. Uh, for some reason, people just they you know a huge appeal of the book is that the is that it's good solid black I'm, and white I'm with lots to, of I'm, yeah. I'm going to posit that probably um, French are more open to black and white because uh, my my generation in France has been raised on manga. Oh, uh, because there there yeah. was a children's program that showed nothing but uh, Japanese anime, mm -hmm. so the, um, the publisher jumped on that and published a lot of Dragon Ball and Saint Seiya, yeah, uh, all in black and white. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is still this is still uh, a viable business model for a French publisher to just publish manga. In uh -huh. Belgium, yeah. It's, uh, it's very Belgium, difficult. Yeah, Belgium is. And, and yeah. Belgians felt the need to color the schnickel. Yeah, it's yeah. Color what? The schnickel. That's a um, a famous uh, Franco-Belgian uh, comic by uh, Rosinski and Van Hamme, who are uh -huh. famous for Torgal. But th these are things that you are probably not aware of. I've heard of Torgal. Yeah, well, around, um, yeah. Th th those two started off with something mm. called the schnickel, which is sort of. Um, the um, pre-biblical uh, creation myth myth. Uh-huh. Krasinski's brushwork. Yeah. And the, the it's wonderful. Yeah. And then somebody splashed the color. Just, just soiled good. it oh, with yeah. color. <laughs> just polluted it. It's exquisite purity. Ruined. Yeah, you lose. This is also a thing that I that was very important to me when we colored Courtney. Is um, uh, I I chose an artist that wasn't going to get in the way of the line work, yeah. and he really knows how to just like let the lines sing and let the the you know that's one of the things I like about what he does is like he'll do whole segments that are just like everything is blue. Yeah, it's a lot you more know. atmospheric. And he I, I really I chose an atmosphere, the, the atmospheric much, color. It's 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 like. Duping the the audience into thinking it is color, <laughs> while it's 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 really just tone. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's 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 still black and white. Well, I, I noticed that especially because towards the end of one of the final stories in Gordon Cameron, it was all tone. I, I don't really I notice color a lot more when it's bad than when it's good, right? Mm -hmm. Which is I guess the point. That's the point. It's like CGI. And, and uh, th there was this, but it was it intentional. It, it worked where. Um, 
one page was uh, muted sepia colors, mm -hmm. and then the next one was very vibrant and inside the yeah. home, I believe. And I suddenly noticed he's been doing this to me for for a few volumes all along. So it's it's pretty yeah. It's it's, it's My, pretty much tones, not color. I knew he. I knew that I had a, a really. I had found a real gem when I got to chapter two of the first volume. And it's Courtney kind of coming into, um, you know, she's coming down to, to have lunch. And yeah. she sits down at a table and uh, all the other kids leave. And the panel goes grayer. And then it gets to the scene where she casts this uh, this glamour spell yeah, on her to see if yeah. she could, you know, maybe get be, be more less lonely yeah. and more popular. And so she casts the spell on herself. And she comes in, comes to lunch, and she puts the plate down to an empty table. And everybody comes and show, all the kids just surround her, and the colors went very, very bright. And the the he amped up the saturation of color in all of those scenes for the rest of that issue because he wanted to get this sense of oppressive color saturation yeah, yeah. to make it feel more awful. Like that, and it really works. <laughs> yeah, uh, it especially works um, on my you know in my hardcovers that with the matte paper. So it's not too bright because the glossy paper makes it glossy, yeah, you know, bright colors even brighter. Yeah, I'm really pleased with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that, I mean, the, the way he he uses color to convey story uh, really made made those colors uh, made you know made yeah, made, it made me feel yeah. very happy with the yeah. color editions. More. My thing you said I could ask it at the end. Um, there is a, a, a European artist, um, Alex Alice, and mm -hmm. he, uh, he has two series, um, Siegfried and um, Oh yeah, the Siegfried. Stars, yes. Yeah. And in this series, I, I keep wondering why he has one character that's really cartoony. Uh huh. There is uh, Mina in Siegfried and there's Hans in uh, Castle and Stars, and. I noticed you, you do some cartoon things as well. If Holly, yeah. Holly doesn't have any feet. Yeah, she has her, her little little peg feet. Because I was watching uh, Powerpuff Girls at the time. And I, <laughs> you know, I wanted her to be my little Powerpuff pirate. And, and uh, Courtney doesn't Courtney have doesn't has the missing nose. Yeah, yeah. Which, and, and everyone has just four fingers. Four fingers. Well, remember, I when I originally drew this, I wanted it to be, I intended the, the book to be much more cartoony. Um, but then I just couldn't maintain the discipline of, and I've made the, the world got more and more detailed and all the characters got more and more detailed and, and the cartooniness kind of went on the wayside. Um, but you can't just switch from drawing characters with three fingers to four fingers. You, so like some of the aspects of the cartooniness, like Courtney not having a nose and like the, yeah, you know, like, I honestly, it never occurred to me how I was going to handle Courtney's profile until I was drawing the book and I'm like at some point I'm gonna have to show what she looks like from the side and I drew her with a nose and I'm like that doesn't look like Courtney and so I just got rid of the nose completely just go straight down like a ninja turtle and now she was Courtney again it's something that's why it's comics yeah that only works in comics it's weird yeah it's like spider-man's eyes like it's kind of weird how they had to bend over backwards to excuse spider-man having like eyes that change expression and like you know iron man yeah. he, you know he has this mask you know but that in the comics yeah. 
they, you know, yeah, Iron Man changes expression sides, all yeah. the time. Yeah. You know, like, you know, his, like, his little eye slits are, you know, they'll shoot it from below a little bit to make him look more hero. But they'll just change it. And same with Batman. Like, his, his weird little eye slits are, you know, changing and, yeah, like, yeah. expressing all over the place. But, the, you know, you put that in real life. And, you know, that he, Batman always has the same damn scowl, you know, where whatever is going on. Um, and uh, Iron Man is just going to have this blank face because, you know, they're not going to change the, yeah. I, the ice. But, but they, they solve that by going uh, under the mask. Right? Yeah, they go under the mask, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I guess, I mean, that does the job. You know, you have to adapt. That's why it's called an adaptation and not a recreation. Um, and that's the end. Ladies and gentlemen, that is officially closed. Please go to the nearest exit. Oops. Get out. <laughs>